0: I hope you guys gather places where they start meetings with that. Open your Bibles. Um, if, you have, if you don't have notes, raise your hand. We got notes going around. That'll help us. Uh, we're a little bit short. Any, we got an extra one here. Anybody else not got one? Anybody got extras? Raise your hand. Let's just get those distributed. Um, we're going to look at Matthew 24. Before we get into that word, just give you an idea where we're going tonight, what we're going to do. Um, this will help us, so we don't have to turn to all the scriptures. I got a lot of them in here for us. First, I want to share a word that actually has nothing to do with tonight's message, but it's something that has been on the heart of the leadership at Communitas, and we just want to address it. And we want to talk a little bit about relationships between guys and girls. We we actually we really you know like marriage around here. Marriage is awesome, you know. And uh, this is a place where I, this is the reason I bring this word. Um, This, needs to be, this is becoming and it's going to continue to be a safe place for interaction between guys and girls, brothers and sisters. And here's what I've seen happen a lot of times in different contexts is people put up walls and they get self-protecting and bad things happen. And, and they build doctrine around experience. And what happens is the blessing is lost between brothers and sisters because there's something in, especially the ladies. I'm going to give a word for the ladies and a word for the guys that I can't receive from my brother's. And there's something really impactful that that I received a word from uh, a spiritual mother a while back about how to view all of our relationships. And just this little piece of advice I think will go a long way because, yeah, there just doesn't have to be awkwardness around this area. And every relationship I have between a sister is eternal, okay? Even if you get married, that is your sister forever. And I want to view every relationship in my life asking one question and this is the world asks this question they say what do I get out of this relationship as believers the question we want to ask is Jesus what do you want to get out of this relationship okay and as we do that there can become a healthy interaction because just on a on a I'll just say it on a real serious note like I talk to guys that are thinking about maybe pursuing girls and they're kind of like man this is intense like if I even approach them, they think we want to get married, like, immediately. And so there's no way for guys to get to know girls. It's not, like, I'm I'm, I'm going to be serious for a second. Like, girls, I'm just going to encourage you. If a guy comes up to you and says, can we get coffee, don't bring your wedding veil to coffee, okay? <laughs> don't bring your wedding veil. And also, if they come up to you and say, can we get coffee, don't go into a 15-minute spiel about how you have a boundary that you don't meet with guys one-on-one and, and get... Spiritual about it, if you don't want to meet with them, just tell them that. And just be really upfront. Just be like, I don't want to. But know that you can get to know a brother in a healthy way, okay? Does that make sense? And guys, don't cover up insecurity with religious talk either, okay? You're insecure. Like, come to, you don't have to have it all figured out. Like, this is going to work somehow by the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you this God wants to write everyone's story. So don't look at other people's stories and go, I got to do it like they're doing it. Or I heard this teaching this one time that said, I can't do this. And I mean, I've talked to guys that have approached girls and they're not coming to say, will you marry me? (laughs) Because there has to be a transition in between like, you know, not hanging out at all. And I know that we've had that kind of unhealthy separation at times in the body of Christ. And so we just want to encourage healthy brother-sister relationships. So that being said, it has nothing to do with the topic tonight, but amen. 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 Is it? Has anyone else said that? Okay, good. Other people desire to be married. Okay, good. And actually, hallelujah. And we're having an altar call. Okay. Hallelujah. Ma- ma- marriage is glorious. Hallelujah. And Satan actually really hates marriage. I don't know if you know that. It says in First Timothy 4 that one of the signs of the last days is he's going to actually try to get people to abstain from marriage. Why? Because he doesn't want the kingdom of God populating through godly offspring. We've heard that message, sir, Ken. But that all being said, okay, we're going to get into a totally different topic. I'm going to pray. Here's what I want to do. I want to set the table tonight, all right? I want to get the plate, the fork, the A1 steak sauce, the I wanna, I wanna give us. I want to give us some context to this scripture. I want to set the plate, and then we're going to dive into the meat. I have a lot we want to cover, but... As normal, we're not going to go through all the notes, and so these are for you to take into your quiet time and to bring to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to hop in. Father of glory, we just ask for your spirit right now to come. In Jesus' name, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and give understanding. I ask you to come and open our eyes. The way you inspired the writing of the word, I ask you to illuminate our understanding, that we might love Jesus more. God, I ask that you'd release the spirit of prophecy in this place. I ask you to awaken our hearts. You'd unify us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking tonight at the life of Noah, but we're starting by looking at the Olivet Discourse, okay? You know what that is? Anybody know what that is? Matthew 24 and 25. It's also on the notes, the first point there. And let me just start by giving this preface. Because our passion in this life is a person, it would make sense for us to give our focus and our devotion to studying and falling in love with that man as revealed in the Bible. Today, here's, there's a great problem today in Christianity. And it's this, there's a crisis. And it's that Christianity has become increasingly about saying yes to truth formulas, saying yes to rituals and activities, and even aligning yourself with issues rather than a loving preoccupation for the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, Christianity is about Jesus, all right? You can go to a thousand youth groups in this country, never open your Bible, never hear about Jesus. That is not a Christian gathering, okay? I don't, I don't care what rhetoric we use. We need to get back to aligning and conforming with a man who never changes. Because what happens is if Christianity is defined by anything else, then you can justify or the culture can determine deviating from orthodoxy. Does that make sense? And now those other things are okay, but that is not what makes you a Christian. And so, as we approach this scripture today, this is the Gospel of Matthew, we are reading with our eyes the actual account of God walking, doing life on the planet. Okay? What that means is The Gospels have eternal relevance for my life. You want relevance? Everyone, that's the buzzword in Christianity is relevance. I'll tell you who's relevant. God in the flesh. Everything he says, every detail he spoke has a weight to it that is beyond description. Okay? And so as we come, so many people are bored with the Gospels today because they aren't viewing them with the divinity of, Of Jesus at the forefront of their imagination. At the forefront of their emotions. Does this all make sense? So the Bible is an amazing book, guys. Do you know I read the newspaper once in a while. And everyone wants to talk about the future. Everyone's making predictions about the future. Where's the world going? What is life going to look like in 5 to 10 to 20 years? Do you know that we're not without a compass? Do you know that this book... The accuracy of this book. This book has an amazing track record. Think of some of the prophecies. Isaiah prophesies a leader named Cyrus who's going to deliver the Jews out of Babylonian captivity hundreds of years before he's even on the scene. I mean, the the details of even the prophecies of Jesus' life are staggering. So we don't need to run everywhere else. That's the beauty of it. That's why we're going to this passage tonight, is because I want to give you insight into the future. And it never fails. It's awesome. I'm not uncertain. I'm not just going through life. History is not just happening. Do you know that? This isn't all just happenstance. Evolution is a lie, it's a doctrine of demons, okay? I'm just going to say it. It is. It's one of the chief doctrines of demons macroevolution. God is the creator. There was a day when he spoke, and everything was created, and history is going to change soon, and so we want to prepare, and so that's what we're going to look at tonight. So Matthew 24, look at verse 1. I'm going to set the context to this passage, and then ultimately, I want to look specifically at the life of Noah. So let me say this. Matthew 24, we're looking at the gospel of Matthew, which is a, a, a gospel that is explicitly Jewish in nature. It is making the transition for us from the Old Testament to the New, and Matthew Matthew's whole purpose through this gospel is him constantly presenting and proclaiming, Israel, this is your Messiah. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Does that make sense? And so there's a lot of quotation of Old Testament scripture. But the interesting thing about Matthew is Matthew 1 through Matthew 20 covers about 33, a little over 33 years. You get to chapter 21, and it's like everything slows down to a halt. And chapter 21, that beginning with the triumphal entry, until 28, the ascension, covers seven days. So it's good to keep in mind as we come to the scripture that we're getting a detailed, focused look at the last days of Jesus in Matthew 24. And so we have 21, he comes in, he cleanses the temple. Chapter 22, he starts giving parables and teachings. 23, he starts talking and he he hammers out seven woes to the people of God in that day and he's talking to his disciples and he ends chapter 23 with this statement he says oh Jerusalem Jerusalem how long I wanted to gather you to me but you were unwilling he says you won't see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord right I'm not going to preach on the triumphal entry today But that that statement is related to what they said but didn't mean in 21. (laughs) Do you notice that? He turns to the very phrase they were proclaiming to him, and he says, you're actually not going to see me again until you say it and really mean it. It's pretty intense. So chapter 24 begins. He's coming out of that statement. It says in verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Here's a little bit of the context. The the disciples are looking at the temple, and the temple in those days was the place of encountering God, right? That was the focus of the people of God in that day. They would come and bring their their sacrifices. They would come and worship there. And Jesus is saying he's shifting the focus from the temple to himself, (laughs) That's what's going on right now. He's saying, Your spiritual activity is going to move from focusing on this building to focusing on me because I'm greater than the temple. I'm God. That's what he's saying here. And he says, this, He prophesies the destruction of the temple. And then it says, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? The destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, these three questions are incredibly important. The second two are linked to each other. And we got to understand the Jewish mindset in that day. They understood eschatology. Jews understood eschatology, specifically from the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. And what it prophesies in detail is the coming of the Messiah, first preceded by difficulty in the city of Jerusalem. The city gets taken. So when he says the, the temple's getting destroyed, they go, whoa. Okay, we know that prophecy. We know what comes next. The Messiah comes and he stands where? The Mount of Olives. Where is he standing while he's teaching this? Okay? So he's, th- they're tracking with him now. Interesting place for him to be standing when he's teaching. The Olivet Discourse, it's called, because of their location. And he says, they ask him a question. I want to tell you, this is an incredibly important question did you know that there's no end to the world you know I don't know who sings it but they sing that terrible song it's the end of the world and we know it and I feel fine well you're wrong in a lot of ways you you probably aren't feeling fine if you really knew what was going to happen and there is no such thing as the end of the world here's what we need to understand beloved His coming, his parousia, this is the first time that word is used in in the gospel of Matthew. His arrival, they're asking him, we know you're going to come. And when you come, you're going to establish your kingdom. And we want to know what that time is going to look like. What's going to precede that time. And he's making a connection that those two events are actually one. The end of the age, we need it. (laughs) Unless you want the world to continue to operate the way it is, we don't need a transition, but... Paul understood that this was the present evil age and that the coming of the Messiah would inaugurate God's kingdom on the earth and bring us into the new age, right? The age to come, as it's talked about often in scripture. And so Jesus then begins, in light of these questions, laying out verse by verse a lot of the signs of the times. That's not going to be the focus in this message, but I want to set the context to this chapter, and I want to encourage you to be in it. And to read it and become familiar with it, this is phenomenal. So flip forward to verse 36, and then this is going to be kind of our launching place for the night. So, and let me just say, uh, I think, I don't know what point it is for you guys, but gaining perspective, that whole one, is that one on there? talks about the major themes. Here's one of the beauties of Matthew 24. It hits the major themes of the birth pangs, the Antichrist, the tribulation, rapture, second coming, resurrection, millennial reign. Those are awesome. And let me just say something about the rapture because when we talk about the end times, a lot of you, your theology has been formed by left behind and not the Bible. And so I need to help you unpack some things so that we can actually go somewhere, okay? Just so you're aware, Jesus cannot return at any moment. You've maybe heard that said. He could come back at any moment. And what they're trying to do a lot of times is get you prepared, which is great, but their doctrine's wrong. Jesus cannot return until the qualifications he set have actually happened. One of them, actually two of them, Paul lays out in Second Thessalonians 2. I don't have time to go into it, but he says, the brethren, he writes to them saying, lest you are you know, worried and troubled about the coming of the Lord and are gathering together with him, His return and the rapture are one event. There's not two second comings. There's not a secret snatching away. I'm not going to unpack that all tonight, but there's 150 chapters in the Bible that have the theme of that chapter as the end times. It's a huge topic. And the fact that scripture gives that much weight to it tells us we need to give that much weight to it. You add up the gospels, 89 chapters. So that just tells you. 89 chapters focusing on the first coming. Easily, I mean, I, I could even send them to you guys, the chapters. Conservatively 150, or conservatively 100, easily, I, I would say 150, so almost double, okay? And so he says, concerning the, the, his coming and our catching up, he says, don't be shaken or troubled. That day will by no means happen unless two things, the falling away and what? The revealing of the lawless one. And some people are like, yeah, but we might be in the middle of the falling away. Here's what I say. If you have to ask if we're in the middle of it, we're not. Paul put that event on the same level as the revealing of the Antichrist in the temple. Okay? It's not going to be a surprise. It's not going to happen, and we're not going to know about it. And so we're just going to start with that, that we're, we're going through this thing. We're going to talk about that more, but verse 36, okay? And I'm actually going to prove to you in this scripture right here A verse that's often taken out of context related to the rapture is not, that's not what it's saying. So verse 36, so this is all in light of those questions. Jesus is answering them, but he's primarily answering, now the temple will be destroyed again, but he's answering primarily his coming and the end of the age. And he says this, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 36. What he's he's speaking about here is the tendency for us to try to set, you know, a nice little chart out and go, I can just hang out for X amount of time because then he's coming and I'll just do my thing until then. Notice what he says though. After he says, we're not going to know the day of the hour, he says, but. That but is related to the statement he just made and the but is this. And this is the focus tonight. As in the days of Noah, as those days were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you guys want to know about the future? I'm going to take... A trip back in the past. I'm going to introduce you to my friend Noah. You know, the big boat, Arky Arky, you know, <laughs> a bunch of animals on there. Here's, here's the funny thing. That story has become a fairy tale to many of us, but it actually happened. It was actually real. God actually flooded the planet one day. He actually did that. And what Jesus is saying is the insight that you need for the future is found in the life and the day of Noah. And we'll get into what that means in light of that last statement. I love that. And here's how this whole message came about. Six months ago, I'm sitting there doing life like you all do, you know, doing your laundry, cooking food, running errands. And I'm having this conversation with the Lord, nothing profound, just probably telling him I love him. It's mostly what I do, ask him to show me his love. And I just get in my spirit this I don't know if it was an actual event. I don't know how this all works, but I started hearing him asking me questions, and it was like I was looking in on a conversation he was having with someone. And someone was standing before Jesus. And I, and I don't know the details of all this, but here's the essence. This person was asking Jesus... I didn't know it was going to get that difficult. And I don't know if that person backslid or if they lost their reward or what. But they lived, what I believe, I believe they, actually, they actually lived through the tribulation. And they were asking Jesus, I didn't, I, didn't well, I wasn't prepared. Why wasn't I prepared? And I, and I remember Jesus asking this question and it just struck my spirit. He's like, I told you it was going to be like the days of Noah. And I was, I was like, oh, man, yeah, you did, didn't you? And this person said, you mean you were serious? and it wasn't a funny look on Jesus' face from what I was seeing in the spirit. It wasn't like an open vision or anything, but I was was just viewing this sober, grieved, broken look on the face of Jesus that his people have taken his words so lightly. And the lack of preparation often is related to a very casual approach to the warnings in the word of God. And so this whole thing came up like, I guess I need to look at Noah's life. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I think I have it written down later, but here and here's what happens. Noah and his day, we're going to look at it. We're going to go to Genesis 6 and break down the life of Noah and what he faced and a lot of the dynamics related to it. But the life of Noah becomes our, and I'll unpack this, eschatological hermen- hermeneutic, Okay. <laughs> I did I didn't do very well actually. The Holy Spirit's a good teacher. Okay, so eschatological means this it's the study of the eschaton, which is the last day. Okay? The last great day, the end end things, the last things. And a hermeneutic is our interpretation, the way we interpret things. And so there's insight found in the life of Noah that helps us understand what's coming ahead, okay? And so I love that. I have that on your notes, I think, Matthew twenty four twenty five. Jesus said in this passage, see, I've told you beforehand. The mercy of God is found in the warning. Let me say that again. The mercy of God is found in the warning. Jesus loves people, and he doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. He wants them to come to repentance. Actually, I think I have that on your notes. 2 Peter 3 says, the Lord's not slow concerning his promise as some understand slowness. And this passage in 2 Peter, he has actually just got done talking about a scoffing spirit in the last day that says, where's your coming? We don't believe God actually flooded the earth. We don't believe God actually created the earth. Everything's just kind of happening. It's been billions of years and we're all just here. And he goes, God is not slow concerning his promise to judge the wicked, but he's long-suffering for salvation. Amen, that's good for me. If God wasn't long-suffering, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have salvation. He suffered long with me. He's been very patient. And so we can't interpret what's taking place in the world and the seeming lack of involvement on God's part as his acceptance of it. It's the fact that he really loves people and he knows the lake of fire is forever. And he's saying, Turn! turn, wake up, wake up. And he's calling his people to start calling people to wake up. And that's what Noah did. It says he was a preacher of righteousness. And so it's God's love to give someone a flat tire before they drive off a cliff. Do you know that? Do you know the mercy of God is to give you something that will cause you to wake up? Some people, if they get a flat tire, they're ready to drive off a cliff. They get out. They curse God. They kick their car. They're like, why is this happening to me? And God's going, if you would actually understand the reality of what's taking place, you would have thanked me. And the nations are about ready to get a flat tire, beloved. It's promised. And, I, and, and this is why I want to say the next point is we must resist false gospels. I want to talk real briefly. I mean, each of these points... Is a message for me because I'm I'm burning with passion to see the body of Christ mature, come into understanding of the Word, come yoked with Jesus, and begin to do what He did, and be, come into their authority. And there's two extremes right now, two primary categories of false gospels. The first one is Dominionism. You know what that is. Dominion theology, the theology that says the kingdom's all here now. We're going to establish the kingdom through our political agenda. We're going to establish the kingdom through building buildings. We're going to do these things, and the kingdom's going to come. And my question would be, how do you establish a kingdom without a king? Jesus made it really clear. He said it multiple times. I have the verse there in in Luke 22. He says, when he's instituting the Lord's Supper... I say to you, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so it's been inaugurated through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But, beloved, it's not here. And you know why that's really good news? Because if the kingdom was here in fullness, we'd be losing, okay? I sure hope this isn't the fullness. I sure hope Jesus died for more than this. I see sin. I see death. I see oppression. I see injustice all over the globe. And there's birthing a cry in the people of God saying, where is justice? And he's going, good, good, good. You're waking up a little bit to the reality of what's taking place. The second false gospel is fatalism, hopeless escapism or Gnosticism. And what that says is that the physical creation is evil. Our goal is to escape to an ethereal heaven where I can I don't know what, and somehow God's going to come then and destroy the earth, and we're going to be gone. Beloved, Jesus doesn't win if the earth gets destroyed. He said in Genesis that creation was good, okay? I know this is like. You're like ready to stone me. You're like, heretic! This isn't what I've been taught. It's It's what the Bible says. The Bible says that heaven, Acts 3, 21, Says that heaven has received Jesus until the time of the restoration of all things. It doesn't say the annihilation. It doesn't say we're trying to get out and that somehow these bodies, you know, that was Plato's theology. He thought salvation was us escaping our body. That's not true. Salvation is us having our body raised in glory, having the earth restored, having death driven off the planet, demons thrown in the lake of fire along with every wicked person on earth, and the kingdom coming in fullness and establishing what was intended in Genesis 1. That's salvation, beloved. The gospel is so confusing in the body of Christ right now. They don't understand the beginning. They don't understand the end. And so they have no idea what we're preaching to people. And we need to get this established in our spirit. What is the gospel? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What are we presenting people? We need to know the gospel. What is the gospel? First, the gospel is a person. I'm not this isn't the message tonight, but it's it's Jesus. He's a man, he's God, he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead. He has a kingdom that's eternal. He's victorious over death, and he's coming. That's the gospel, okay? The gospel is not God just wants you to have a nice, easy, comfortable life and give you what you want and so have you indulge your flesh, and one day you'll go to an ethereal heaven with no body, and your body will rot in the ground, and God will destroy the earth. That's not the gospel, okay? I'm, oh, I'm passionate about this. Because guess what? When, you, when we preach the gospel, heaven can say amen with power. That's what I'm longing for. I'm going, God, I don't have the power in my life to transform anyone's life apart from you right now. I'm not seeing an awakening in our city. I'm seeing people die every day and go to an eternal separation from him. And I'm, it's got to disrupt us a little. That has to disrupt me. And, it, and it, what, ends up, what it ends up doing is it becomes our, our gift. It becomes our escort to him. So... We need to reject those two Gospels. We need need to understand the physical, material world is not bad. Sin is the problem, not creation, okay? And also, the kingdom will come in fullness when the king comes. So we're longing for the king to come to bring his kingdom, not for him to take us. I'm not looking to get out of here. I'm looking for him to come. I'm looking for souls to come into repentance, to put their faith in Jesus, so they can get raised and not go into everlasting condemnation, but they can come into the kingdom of our our God. It's glorious. So Revelation 11 says that. Revelation 11 talks about the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord. Okay, so we're going to look at Noah's life. Flip to Genesis 6. So Jesus tells us the days ahead are like the days of Noah. Okay? That little phrase has so see here's the thing guys Jesus doesn't exaggerate Jesus doesn't say things if they don't have relevance and meaning and importance everything he says is we should just dive into it we should give ourselves to it so chapter six looking at verse eight starting or actually I'll just I'll just preach to you without us reading at all what's going on here so Chapter 5, you have the genealogy of Adam, and it's just flying through 1,500 years of genealogies. It's intense. And basically, all you have is people being born, having kids, you know, and dying. Next person, born, kids, die. Born, kids, die. And then there's this really goofy guy that comes along named Enoch, and he's born, he has kids, but then he walks with God, and he's taken. And you're just kind of like, oh. And then the next guy, and he was born, he had kids, he died. You know, you got Methuselah, you got, that's... So you got Lamech, which is Noah's father. Then you have Methuselah, which is his grandfather. And then you have Enoch, his great-grandfather. So it's kind of interesting how that works because Noah walked with God. And what's happening is you have, uh, and I just don't, don't want to get into this, but Genesis 6, you have some of the weirdest interpretations of what's going on here. I, I honestly don't know the whole situation with the Nephilim and what all that means. But uh, anyway, things are not good on the planet. So let me tell you this. If Jesus says, as in the days of Noah were so also the coming of the Son of Man be, we can't buy into the thought that things are just getting better and better and better and then the kingdom will be fully established, then Jesus will come. That's called post-millennialism. We don't believe that here at Communitas. Okay? We believe in premillennialism, which means Jesus comes and that's what initiates the millennial reign. And so though things are getting worse and worse and worse, we're not without hope. We're not trying to get out of here. I'm not under fear. I'm saying everything's getting worse and worse and worse. The righteous are getting better and better and better, and then there's a day coming when everything changes, gets eternally better for a long time. You know what I'm saying? Like There's there's pessimism that says things are getting worse. There's optimism, and I see a lot of Christians operating in what I call Christian triumphalism. It's like, we're going to do it. We're going to win. It's going to be great, and I'm like, that's not what I read in the book. I'm preparing to suffer. I'm preparing for difficulty. I'm getting equipped. I want to build a boat for the saving of people, not some false sense of victory that's not rooted in scripture. Does that make sense? It's often true with Jesus. We fall in love with the Jesus we've made in our minds, not the Jesus revealed in the Bible. So, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Powerful. He found grace, and I'm going to fly through some of this. I want to get to the next passage Noah was a sinner like the rest of us. He needed salvation. He was not perfect. He was not without sin. That's not what he's saying. But he found something. He found the gift of God through faith. And that's what it says in Hebrews 11. And so Noah believed God's word to him about what was not seen, and he acted on it. Verse, if you want to, tu- you don't need to turn there, but it's, it's, I think it's on your page. Hebrews 11, 7 says, by faith, Noah. And this gives us insight into what's taking place during this building of the ark. Noah being divinely warned. And I have, in a lot of these verses, I have my own parenthetical comments. So you can tell what's actually the text and what's me giving commentary on it. Just so you don't go, is this the Amplified? Well, it's my my Amplified. but So Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. What was not yet seen? The judgment. Because in Genesis 6, God had said, I can't strive. I mean, one of the saddest days. To hear God's heart, He's going. I can't strive with man any longer. I'm giving him 120 years, and I'm bringing judgment. And then he, f- and then Noah finds grace, and then He calls him to prepare. And it says He moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark, which was his place of safety for the saving from the judgment that was coming of his household, by which he condemned or he proved their rejection of the ark. Is that uh, that makes sense. That's my comment. And became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So what I want to say here is, I mean, this is a tremendous passage about the life of Noah. So Noah, by faith, thanks, bro. I got the fire, man. Woo! <laughs> it's like a, this, is a work, this is a workout. I love it. <laughs> so by faith, Noah is warned. And here's the question I have for you, to, for you today is, do you hear the warning? There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming upon this planet that is so more. It's so f- far beyond anything my heart can grasp. It's so intense. I'm not. My desire is not to produce fear, but it's produce sobriety. I don't know if you've read Revelation. Between the fourth seal and the sixth trumpet, half of the world is killed. Half of the world. Can you imagine if God would have came to Noah with this warning and he'd gone, ah, I'm going back to work. I got other things to do. I got my life to get on with. What did Jesus say? People were doing things that aren't ungodly. They were marrying and they were working and they were doing those things. The reason it was evil is because it kept them from responding to the Lord's warning. They became so preoccupied with the things of this world that they did not respond And God is calling forth Noah's, and he's saying, I'm warning you. I'm warning you of things you don't see yet, things you don't get yet, and I'm calling you to prepare, and I want you to move. And it took fear. It took godly fear like Tom preached about last week. And he begins to prepare. What he prepared became his place of safety. If you believe we're getting raptured out, and the flood comes, and you're unprepared, that doesn't go well for you, okay? And so God's calling the body of Christ, he, you know why? It actually says that the divine suffered a long time with Noah so that he could become prepared. And so that's what's going on, is he's being warned. And I just want to say about that divine warning, I have five signs of the times. I'm just going to hit them real quick. One of them I got a pound for like two minutes because it's really intense. So the question is: Have you heard the warning? Are you discerning the signs of the times? Five points. The first is cultural. Are you observing culturally what's taking place? We're seeing good called evil, evil called good. We see prevalent immorality, idolatry, violence, occult activity. I just want to talk about this for a second. So I'm in the I'm in the, I'm in Best Buy yesterday getting some blank CDs and I just start looking at the movies that are on the shelf and I start seeing three themes just through all the movies and and I go to the best selling section and there's a movie called Harry Potter and there's also a movie called Twilight okay do you know the themes of these two movies I'm I'm gonna hit this for a second because I feel like God wants to deliver some of you from it I'm not mad that if you've watched it or read it but you need to get delivered because God hates it God hates witchcraft. Deuteronomy 18 makes it clear. He hates it. Okay? And there is so much tolerance right now. Here's what the devil is doing. He's promoting his agenda to desensitize people, to bring them to a place where they'll openly worship demons. And so it happens in the sixth, after the sixth trumpet, Revelation chapter 9, it says that there's four primary sins taking place on earth. Immorality, murder, sorcery, which is the Greek word pharmakia, which is where we get pharmacy or drug activity, and then theft. And it was funny, as I walked through these movies, literally, I saw like 10 vampire movies. There's an obsession right now with vampirism. And, I think, and I, I've met Christians recently that are loving this stuff. And they're coming, to, asking for prayer, and I'm going, what are you allowing into your life? And they're like, well, I, I watch this stuff, and it's no big deal. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa!" wait. wait have you ever talked to someone who's been a vampire and gotten delivered from it? Do you know it's actually real? The devil would love for you to believe that witchcraft is fun and games. It's just nice witchcraft. That's like having a nice car wreck. Or I got got good cancer. It's real good. I mean, it's not the evil stuff. It's the good stuff. It's killing you. Okay? And culturally, it's just prevailing and it's desensitizing people so that they don't even have a war against it. Let me just say something. If you watch sin for your entertainment, what you are doing is you are saying, I agree with this. You are not only tolerating, but you are coming into agreement with spirits behind those activities. I don't care how good the plot was. I don't care how many people pressured you into watching it. We need to repent. We need to get delivered. These two, do you know how these two books slash movies came about? Have you read the stories? Both dreams, both demonic, both came to people that were operating in wrong spirits. One was Mormon. The other one was totally atheistic. I have just a whole bunch of info about them. I mean, it is. Let me just say about Harry Potter. The theme, according to Rowling, who's the author, the theme is death. She even says that out of her own mouth. And it's a children's book. It's the fastest selling book in history. 67 languages it's been uh, translated into. It's the highest grossing film series ever. And she says in this encounter that it fell into her head in this experience she had. And basically gave her the whole download to basically spew across the whole earth. There are real spells in those books. This isn't a joke, beloved. You can't play games with demons. Paul said it. You cannot fellowship at the table of the Lord and and fellowship with demons, okay? You can't do it. And if you have trouble spending more than five minutes concentrated in the Bible, this might be the issue. You might need to ask yourself, Lord, how do I prepare by getting disconnected? This is the word that's on my heart. It's Revelation 18, talking about Babylon. Verse 4. John hears this. God says, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, lest you share in her sin and you share in her plagues because I'm judging that activity. And so if you keep partaking in it, you're going to get swept away with them. The Bible makes it clear, demons are real. I hate them. They want to steal, kill, and destroy everything in your life and you can't play games with them. And I don't care what they come saying. I don't care if they come offering help. They're liars. Every single one of them is a, is a liar, okay? There's no truth in them, and we need to break agreement with all of this vampire, witchcraft, occult stuff. It is just seducing an entire generation. I mean, I could just tell you the names of some of these movies. I wanted to throw up. I was so grieved. I was like, God, these are in the children's section. These are in the children's sections. Little young girls loving... Twi- There's nothing good about a vampire sucking your blood, okay? There's nothing good about that. What? How? Uh, that whole story came about she was Mormon. She has this encounter. She's in this field. This, you can read all this stuff on their website. She She's like brought into this experience with this vampire and this young girl. And she's like, it's the weirdest thing. I know... He has this insatiable desire to kill her and suck her blood. And yet I'm being drawn to it and I can't stop. And then basically she gets up close and like gets this download of this whole twilight series. And it's like in Burger King. I in Burger King. I'm like, what does twilight have to do with my burger? <laughs> this is so, it's such a sign of the times. So we need to wake up because it's all over the place. And God's going to confront that stuff, but he's going to confront it in us first. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. We need to get delivered so we can actually have authority over stuff that has other people in bondage. It's longer than I wanted to take on that. Political. Nation against nation. We see hatred for Israel. The forming of a unified world, political structure. Economic. You guys know everything that's taking place. I mean, I love it. Tom, Tom and I are in the kitchen yesterday. And he goes, he goes, man, good thing our security is not in money. I go, yeah, because I wouldn't have any. It's true. Some people, that's what they worship. And here's what God's doing. God is so merciful. He's giving people an opportunity to recognize the things they've been worshiping and giving themselves to will not actually save them. It's to bring about repentance. The fourth sign is spiritual, both positive and negative. We see see global evangelism. We see the gospel of the kingdom going forth. I'm not going to unpack what that all means, but it's related to the gospel of the kingdom. Being preached. That, that doesn't mean just telling people about salvation through Jesus. It also doesn't mean preaching the gospel and having power back it up. It's, it's preaching Jesus as the Messiah, the Daniel 2 Messiah that's going to come and crush every other kingdom. That's, that's their picture in the Old Testament of the Messiah. We see... This dream Nebuchadnezzar has, Daniel gets the interpretation for it. He goes, yeah, you're the, you're the head, and these are all these other kingdoms. And then I see this one that's not formed with hands, and it comes and just wipes them out. And that's the kingdom of God coming at the second coming. That's awesome. The fifth is cosmic. I mean, talk about it. Anybody, do you guys know what's going on right now in the southern part of the U.S.? It's like the third or fourth worst series of tornadoes in the history of the country. Do you have an answer for people? I mean, are we getting this? God's trying to get our attention. He's going, guys, business as usual is not going to work right now. We've got to get ready. You've got to get prepared. You've got to get, get equipped. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of ways you can do that. So Noah was not only prepared himself, but he was a preacher of righteousness who was, call, who was calling people onto the ark as the God-ordained means of salvation. Here's what the ark is today. The ark is Jesus. The ark is Jesus. He's the only safe place. There's no man-built structure that is going to be able to withstand what's coming up on the planet. I mean, can you imagine Noah just going along? I bet some of us, I think, picture Noah being like, hey, man, well, what are you doing, Noah? I'm just building this boat. God's getting ready to wipe you all out. Uh, just have a great great day. Just do whatever you want. Are you kidding me? I'm sure the days, Noah actually got on the boat seven days beforehand, which is prophetic because we are going to know seven years before the return of Jesus. Anyway, without getting into all that, he tells them seven days beforehand to get on. And do you think Noah went on going, see you guys. He was probably going, get on. Get on. You're going to get destroyed. Judgment is coming. Is anyone alive? Is anyone want to get on? I promise you, you can be safe here. Will you come with me? Are you getting that? Noah wasn't just like, man, whole 120 years. I'm glad I'm out of this. Can't wait to get on. He was heralding. He was Preaching righteousness comes through faith in God. I love it. Noah was righteous because of his faith. We have an Old Testament account all throughout the book of Romans of justification by faith, by grace through faith. I love it. He had faith in God's ability to save him. So six parallels real quick. I'm just going to read them. Six parallels between the day of the Lord and the day of Noah. First is global judgment with water in Noah's day. We have global judgment with fire coming. 2 Peter 3. Second is the first coming of God to Noah was as a warning saying the ark is atonement. And actually the word used to cover the ark with pitch, I'll actually read it in a second, is the word atonement. The first coming of the Messiah was a warning. The cross is your atonement. The cross is your only hope. As we come into Holy Week, I pray that God just wrecks all of us with a revelation of the cross. It is the only hope, beloved. There is no other way. Why? Because it's God himself reconciling the world in Jesus. (laughs) He's God. If you reject him, you reject God. It's not, Jesus is not just the way to the Father. He's not just, I come through Jesus, he's the door, he is the door, but he is God. He's God. So there's no Christless God. Third, we're commanded to build... He was, Noah was commanded to build an ark covered with pitch. We're commanded to build a church covered in blood. The word covered is the word kefar in Hebrew, and it's the derivative of the word kapur. You heard of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement? It literally means to make atonement. It's the word that's actually used in Numbers 15 where the priest made atonement for the sins of the people. He's going... Cover the ark with pitch. And now Jesus comes and says, go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them, right? Another thing we learned from Noah, 120 years of ark building. That's a long time. Do you think there was some opportunities for him to quit? Do you think there was some discouragement, some things he had to press through? The same is true today. We've been in this long time period of church building. Beloved, he's coming. You are closer to the return of Jesus than anyone else who's ever lived, okay? Don't buy into that spirit, that scoffing spirit. I see it in Christians all the time that go, man, they thought he was coming in the first century. We're 2,000 years later. I go, even more reason to be awake. Oh, my goodness, you're 2,000 years closer. Why would that cause you to become less urgent i don't get that that's a wrong spirit that's not the reason jesus is telling us you don't know the day or the hour he's telling you so that you actually watch rather than look forward a few years and kind of indulge the flesh and live your own life point five there was a seven day warning before the flood interesting interesting jesus said then we won't know the day or the hour But there's a seven-year Antichrist covenant before the second coming. Halfway through, he stands up, breaks the covenant with Jerusalem, destroys the temple, says, you got to worship me or die. Okay? Global delusion. Number six is maybe the strongest point. There was global delusion concerning coming judgment in in Noah's day. Today, there is the same delusion. I believe this is the core of who this community is called to be. A city on a hill, a proclaimer of, that would awaken people to the reality. This is the the gospel that Paul preached, Acts 17. You remember it? Mars Hill, what does he say? He goes, guys, the time of ignorance, God overlooked it, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained, and we know that he will do it. Why? Because he raised him from the dead. Do you, do you see the apostle's logic in preaching? He's going, guys, I see that day coming, whether it's you living for, till the return of Jesus or you dying and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He goes, everyone is headed for that appointment. And I'm calling you all to repent now so that you can come into mercy, you can come into grace, and you can be spared because God really loves people. Jesus laid down his life so that people can enter into salvation. It's not a game. Beloved, it's not a game. Your life has so much significance. I mean, I'm having so much fun in life. I'm having so much fun. This is sober, but it is also incredibly joyful. It's incredibly joyful because I have hope, and we're going to talk about that. That's the first point. So, how do we prepare? The question is you guys are all awake now, you guys are all getting it. How do we prepare? The gospel is a message of hope. We know the end of the story. You know the end of the story. The importance of knowing the end and preparing and feeding your heart upon that. No one knew that if he prepared, if he came into salvation, if he came into the ark, that he would be spared on the day of judgment. That brings joy. This prepares us to endure. So it's heeding the words in scripture. That's what he says in James 5. Establish your hearts, beloved. It says that men's hearts will fail from fear. It's literal, I believe. I actually know, we just got done hearing a message by Sean Malone, a guy part of Crisis Response International. He tells a story about his aunt. He was actually at Ground Zero in New York when the towers collapsed. And they were doing outreach. And he said, I was not ready for this. I was not ready. And he actually told a story. It was really sad. His aunt actually had a heart attack and died. It was that intense. This is not optional. (laughs) Having understanding of what's coming having our hearts rooted in the truth that Jesus is faithful, he's going to go with us through it, is essential. Number two, walk with God like Noah did. Intimacy. Intimacy with God. Knowing God. Loving God. Having him be the dream and the desire of our heart. He's the goal, not ministry, beloved. He's the goal. Not all the other things that are fighting for our hearts. Knowing him. Paul said, I count everything rubbish next to the next to the excellence of attending church regularly. Is that what he said? I don't mind regular church attendance, but that's not the point. The point is to gather with believers to encourage each other to worship the Lamb, to receive the word, to get encouraged and filled. I'm going to skip that next one. Preach Christ, that's good. Warn of coming judgment, that's really good. Despite many abandoning sound doctrine, the Spirit is raising up end times messengers that will preach The whole counsel of God. One of my favorite passages, Acts 20. You can look at it on your own. Paul's leaving Ephesus. He comes to the leaders of the church and he says this. He says, I'm free from the blood of all men because of one reason. Because I did not resist declaring to you the entire counsel of God. I hear so many teachers. Telling people what they want to hear and what it's actually not loving because it's actually not preparing them. Can you imagine a teacher coming along to Noah and going, Noah, I know God spoke to you and told you to prepare the ark, but you know, don't worry about it. He just wants your best life now and just go do your own thing. How unloving is that? So I hope that that that's true of our lives, that we're rooted in the truth, that we're rooted in sound doctrine, orthodoxy. Hallelujah. Next point, gaining an eternal perspective. Oh, wait. I skipped one that I want to hit. Let's go back. The only one I really want to hit, and then we can pretty much close, is point C, prepare to suffer. I'm going to read something real quick. Suffering is our calling. It's not heroic. It's not for the elite. Here's what's happened. We've trivialized suffering as though when it happens, it's like super glorious, super easy, And only for some people. Beloved, we live in the most rare generation, in the most rare nation, where suffering has not been normal. Okay, so I'm going to read a quote by a guy named Richard Wormbrand, who is the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Have you ever heard of him? Awesome ministry. Just just let this soak in. So he's in, he's imprisoned in Romania from 1948 to 64, and he's left with this ministry. Oh man, this dude... Bless Jesus for this guy's testimony. And here's the question. Here's what he says. What shall we do about these tortures? Will, be, will we be able to bear them? If I do not bear them, I put in prison another 50 or 60 men whom I know because that is what the communists wish for me to p- betray those around me. And here comes the great need for the role of preparation for suffering, which must start now. It's too difficult to prepare yourself for it when the communists have put you in prison. I remember my last confirmation class. This messed me up when I read this. This is so intense. I remember my last confirmation class before I left Romania. I took a group of 10 to 15 boys and girls on a Saturday morning, not to church, but to the zoo. Before the cage of lions, I told them, your forefathers in faith were thrown before such wild beasts for their faith. Know that you also will have to suffer. You will not be thrown before lions, but you'll have to deal with men who will do much worse than lions. And then he said, decide here and now if you, wish to, if you wish to pledge allegiance to Jesus. They had tears in their eyes, and when they said yes, and they all said yes, we have to make the preparation now before we're imprisoned. In prison, you lose everything. You, you're undressed and given a, given a prisoner suit. No more nice furniture. Nice carpets, nice curtains. It's intense. This guy was in solitary confinement for a long time, and way, the way he kept himself sane was he prepared a message every night and preached it to himself. And they actually ha- he has such an amazing memory by the grace of God that he actually has them all recorded. I think some like three hundred and fifty of them. The verses there. 1 Peter 4, and then we'll close. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. This isn't what my flesh likes to preach, but it's the truth. Beloved, suffering is coming for Christians in this nation. I want to tell you a quick story about a brother yesterday that I had a conversation with who actually lost his job for preaching Jesus at work. Two people got saved, He lost his job. I'd hear a lot of Christians in America today come and say something like, What are you doing, man? We worship our jobs around here. What are you doing preaching Jesus? How are you going to provide for yourself? What are you going to do? And it's like this guy is just, he's so compelled by the love of Christ, he can't not preach the good news, even if it costs him something. And, beloved, the loss of jobs is the beginning, (laughs) it's just the beginning. Gain eternal perspective, live in community. Those are the last points. Read this on your own if you want. But the last point I want to make is um, as we go into ministry time, if you want to play some music, kill some of the lights. I want to spend a couple minutes. I know that that was just like a a lot. Um, The question we have to ask ourselves tonight is, here's the two questions I want you to ask in the next We're going to take a couple minutes. We're just going to talk to the Lord individually. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about your entertainment. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about the way you spend your time. Maybe he's speaking to you about another area of your life. Here's the two questions we want to ask the Holy Spirit tonight. How urgent is the hour we're living in? And second, how do I prepare? How do I prepare? What is the thing you're calling me to do, Lord? It's going to look different for each one of us. There's going to be truths that are unanimous but there's also going to be specifics and i know at our house we're doing some things that you don't have to do but ask the holy spirit about every area of your life the lord's dealing with me in my finances he's dealing with me uh in my giving he's dealing with me in my relationships he's dealing with me in my speech